God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is the day when the Holy Spirit was sent down upon all believers. Well, today marks the close of the great 50 days of Easter. Easter, that season, which we celebrate with the greatest solemnity that we can muster. The wonderful saving act that God has done in Jesus. Pentecost marks something else as well. It marks the beginning of the rest of the year, which in a sense represents the rest of our lives. And in that same spirit, it would be fair to say that the whole of the Easter season prepares us for today, for the living of our lives in the light of Jesus's resurrection. So to begin with, it's important to remember that the meaning of Jesus's resurrection was not obvious to that first generation of disciples any more than its implications are obvious to us now. The stunning realization of what God had done in Jesus takes as much getting used to now as it did then, for them as it does for us. It's that process of getting used to, of absorbing the startling message of the resurrection that our gospel readings have traced over the Sundays of Easter. And those first Sundays provided us with an excited, almost breathless account of the disciples' encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Then followed several weeks with readings that emphasized the promises that awaited us in the new life that is ours in the risen Christ. We were introduced to the challenges and joys of living as people who know this stunning new freedom. Our first reading today is from Acts chapter two, verses one to 21, and is read from the NIV translation. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us can hear them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt 
and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Gospel according to John, chapter 15, verses 26 to 27, and chapter 16, verses 4 to 15, reading from the NIV. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, that yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. 
That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Well, today is truly a great day. It's Pentecost Sunday. This is a great celebration in the church and really important. So who feels excited and full of anticipation? If we don't, perhaps we need to revisit the importance of this great event. I think it's really exciting because that's exactly as it was for those who saw something that day that they really couldn't understand. They knew God had had a hand in it. And with it came responsibility though as well. Now that's not something people are very keen on. I'm not sure why, but it may be something to do with our fear of being responsible for something going wrong or getting criticized or being part of what people uh, think may be ridiculous. Nobody wants to be blamed or look foolish. Well, let's see what Pentecost really means. Well, a large proportion of it is about relationship, really. So many of you here would know something about relationships. Most of us are old enough to have experienced the importance of a bond with a partner or with friends you've met in your lives. There's, some, there's often something magnetic in our relationships that, that cannot be easily explained. So I want to offer a few thoughts and reflections upon God's relationship with you and me and the role of the Holy Spirit in this relationship. The role of the Holy Spirit is or has been very controversial. I think it's caused so many arguments, upsets and misunderstandings in churches and, and with people over the years. Yet it's really important to understand a little what Pentecost is all about. Firstly, the Holy Spirit isn't something that we can control. You don't have control over it. Humans ideally would really, really like that, but it can't be controlled as many would like. I smile when I see humans trying to exercise control over things, but in the case of the working of the Holy Spirit, forget it, it isn't going to be controlled. That's not to say that it works randomly though. We see it sometimes and sometimes we don't. Even the disciples found that and there are references pointing to it. And you can't accuse other people of not being open to the Holy Spirit on the basis of what they appear to be doing. That doesn't work either. You can't say you haven't got the Holy Spirit or that you aren't open to the Holy Spirit because we really don't know if they are or not. And the Holy Spirit doesn't work to order or even in the way we think it works. So at the heart of it, it's about a relationship with God. I've got an illustration, I think, I think it was courtesy of Canon J. John, although it's, it's a little while ago and I can't remember. But um, it's supposed to be a true story of a Methodist preacher who was, who was preaching at his home church. He had a long-standing relationship with his church. 
When he walked through the front door, one of the stewards greeted him with the words, This is a proud day for our church as we welcome back a minister we have nurtured over so many years. What wonderful words of welcome. Now, people there had known him since he was a babe in arms, and, and one woman reminded him that she used to change his nappies. What a thought. His Sunday school teacher was there and many other friends from the past who were pleased to see him again. They'd watched him grow, nurtured him through his formative years. They had supported and journeyed with him as he candidated for the ministry. He was married there and his children were baptised there. His blood, sweat and tears were literally in the foundations of the church extension. The people of that Methodist church had a long-standing relationship with him. And even though they know him so well, they continue to love him. On one Sunday, when he was about four years old during the season of Lent, the minister then asked the, church, the people of his church what they were going to give up for Lent. Remember, he was only four at the time. Well, he stood up and said that he was going to give up swearing. Well, you can only imagine how his parents must have felt. <laughs> he also felt sorry for the minister now because you see things differently when you are one yourself. <laughs> but despite this desire to give up swearing at the age of four, the people of that Methodist church still love him and have welcomed him back to preach. And despite knowing him so well and all his faults and failings, they still want to maintain a relationship with him and his family. At the heart of Christian theology is a relationship. God's relationship with humanity begins with creation, moves through the history of the people of God to the cross of Jesus Christ and beyond to today. It's a relationship characterized characterized by faithfulness, grace, and continuing love on God's side. And actually, by unfaithfulness, repentance, and a search for salvation and holiness on our part. And throughout this long relationship, God continually reaches out to his people, expressing his love, desiring that we return to him. God continually calls us back into a relationship with him. And this love is ultimately expressed in the cross, the suffering and death of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for our salvation and the resurrection, the new beginning offered to each and every human being, no matter who they are or what they've done. Now, the remarkable part I find in all this is that God continues to love us and be concerned about us, despite the fact that he knows us so well and all our faults and failings. The intimacy of God's knowledge is expressed in our Psalm 139 that we had at the beginning of the service. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. 
So no matter what we do or say, God continues to love us and desires to be in a relationship with us. God knows every aspect of us and continues to love us. And reassuringly, God's love and presence never diminish. God holds on to us in our darkest times. Time and again, when pastorally visiting people, they say that they have felt and known God's presence with them in their darkest times. They have a sense of being uplifted and supported by God at these moments. Today's Acts reading reminds us of the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, again, to maintain God's relationship with his people. So even though the work of the Son, Jesus Christ, is now completed on earth, we will not be left as orphans. Jesus tells his disciples, tells the disciples that he will send the Holy Spirit to be counsellor and guide. And it's a wonderful gift offered to each of us, a gift we should not refuse. So just imagine for a few moments how you would feel if you went out now, purchased a really expensive present for your partner, husband or wife or friend, carefully wrapped it up with love and waited for an occasion that you could give it to them. That day comes along and you joyfully present that person with this wonderful gift. Well, imagine your surprise when instead of being embarrassed and pleased and perhaps well, embarrassed and pleased perhaps at the same time, they said they didn't want it. How would you feel? You would recoil in confusion, probably anger and sadness. Why wouldn't they want it? Perhaps they thought there was a catch. Well, there could be many reasons, of course, but at the end of the day, they hadn't accepted your carefully given gift. Tragic, isn't it? But what about the gift that God has left us in the wake of Jesus being taken up into heaven? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Have we done a similar thing by rejecting it? By not accepting it, thinking there may be a catch with it or that it wasn't for us, that it's too frightening and propels us into unknown territory. It could be challenging and could propel us into unknown territory, but it's also life-changing and extremely exciting to acknowledge it fully and feel the will of God to do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. I'd certainly identify with that on my journey. God offers us the Holy Spirit, which we shouldn't refuse. The Holy Spirit given to help, to guide, to comfort, to strengthen, to inspire, to set on fire, and also to challenge and disturb us so that we do not fall into complacency. Finally, ever been given a lifetime guarantee? Well, here's a good one for you to know about because that's what it is. This isn't a two-year guarantee nor a five, 10 or 20-year one. It's a lifetime one. The promises of Jesus are there as an eternal inheritance. So I pray that we may go from here to find them this Pentecost 
let us confound those around us. Remember, the Spirit goes with us forever. Amen. adapted from recorded Zoom services held by Teambridge Methodist Circuit Coastal Section. Full videos can be viewed on their YouTube channel. Music is taken from worship audio tracks, all rights reserved. <laughs>